Welcome to the Date Book Podcast. I'm your host, theater critic Lily Janik, and today I'm interviewing actor and singer Nathan Markin as part of our Artist's Life series, which is a recurring feature that shines a spotlight on the talent who help make up the rich tapestry of the Bay Area's culture life. So I first met Nathan when I was working at New Conservatory Theater Center, and he was just there at a show as an audience member, but he showed up with a bicycle and theater and biking together. I was like, I need to know this person. But only recently I sort of found out about all the different things that Nathan does. So he's a singer in the Kinsey Six, which is a Dragapella quartet, now celebrating its 25th anniversary with the concert Things You Shouldn't Say. Nathan also performs in the Speakeasy, which is the immersive walkthrough Prohibition era theater experience in a secret location. And even though Nathan is only in town for like six months out of the year, just from like touring with the Kinseys, he volunteers and does activism with a bunch of different nonprofits, um, the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition, the Lesbian Gay Chorus of San Francisco, Impact Bay Area. So we brought him into the Chronicle to talk about all these disparate aspects of his life. Welcome, Nathan. Thank you. And so you have a big anniversary show coming up with the Kinsey Six called Things You Couldn't You Shouldn't Say. Not things you couldn't say, shouldn't. Very yes, different. Very two uh, very different things. Yes. And that's uh playing at Marines Memorial October fifth and sixth. Um tell us about the show. What should we expect? Oh, you should expect the unexpected in this show. This this show uh, firstly, that we're so excited to be able doing doing a 25th anniversary show in San Francisco, um, where the group was founded uh, originally in the 90s, and the things you shouldn't say is actually it's it's a very unique show. Uh, we have been touring the show for well over a year now, and to incredible reviews, as a matter of fact, and it came it spawned out of the 2016 election. We were wanting to write a, you know, a, a retrospective show on the group's history, and you know, with you know, dashes of nostalgia and and what have you, and then just uh, a dash, you know, just a dash, uh, you know, in in our own unique, subtle way. Um, <laughs> we are known for that. Subtlety, yes. Very subtle, very subtle. First show. thing I think of. Yeah. So when you think Kinsey Six, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the makeup alone just is so subtle. Very exactly. demure. Uh, right. The costumes are drab. <laughs> um, but um, no, we so the election happened, and uh, and our, our 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 key our main writer and uh, and and one of our co-founders uh, Benjamin Schatz, uh, who will be retiring at the end of the uh, at the end of the 25th anniversary run. And right, this, this is his last show. It's his last show's here in San Francisco. I know we'll have a we'll have a, a hearse out front um, <laughs> after the, after the final show. Bless his heart. Um, but you know we might thaw him out for special occasions later. So sure. Uh, uh, he he crafted uh, quite a tome of a show after the election, just really reflecting on, you know, what could possibly happen um, with the new administration that was going to be coming in. And in putting in the context of the show, he realized that there was a lot of his own personal story that needed to be told um, as a reminder, as a call to action, um, and really an honor of... Of, of the work that has been done so we don't lose 
a lot of that. We've lost. I mean, our, the, the the queer community has lost so much um, as it is, and gained so much uh, in the recent in recent years that it's not. It's it 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 will not help us to ignore what was coming. So that's how the show. That was the genesis for the show, and what sacrifices can be made and have to be made. This sounds pretty serious for the Kinseys. It is a little serious for us, but we take you on a ride. We take you with care. Hmm. Um, so you don't need to bring seatbelts. You don't need to bring life vests. Um, we Leave those at home this leave, time. Leave those at home this Got time. It. You can bring, bring your tomatoes. You'll want them at the end. Um, and we also put a lot of this stuff into context. Like, you know, this is a lot of this stuff. Is, we, it's not the first time we've heard a lot of this, a, a lot of the language about uh, marginalized communities. And it's not the first time we've had to mobilize. For that, so it's it's also it's also not complete. It's a call to arms too. It's a call to action, um, and but it's also a celebration of uh, our queer community. And to to quote our script, uh, uh, our wonderful sissies and all all the all the all the odd folk out there that that is our is our lovely audience. How did you join up with the Kinseys, and when was that? Uh, about four years ago. Um, I first joined the group. I first auditioned for the group actually uh, six years ago. Oh, it took a um, while, huh? Um, well, I, it was just took a while. <laughs> it took a while for them to decide how they were going to use me. So um, I actually came to the Kinsey Six by way of New Conservatory Theater Center, um, where the Kinseys did a lot of their early shows uh, in the late '90s and early aughts. And I had just done a production of Xanadu in 2011, and the Kinseys were looking for an understudy for their base and reached out to Ed Decker, and Ed was uh, gracious enough to pass on you know, my information, and they reached out to me and said, do you know of us? Are you interested? And I said, sure. Uh, sure, yeah, I know, yeah, I know of the group, and I, I know, I've known of the group since, you know, since I was in college. So it's always sort of been in the, in the consciousness of, of, my, of my, my mind. And so I reached out to them. They were doing shows here at the Hotel Nico, and I auditioned for them. They really liked me, and then we wanted to find a way to, uh, to figure out how to work together. That, that opportunity did not present itself until my predecessor, Erwin um, Keller, who was also a co-founder of the group uh, with Ben, uh, had decided to retire at the end of 2014. So that's when they brought me in, and uh, that's, how I, that's how I came to the group. What's special about performing with them? Oh, it is an incredibly uke, unique experience. What is special about about performing with the Kinsey Six is being able to make some incredible music, um, and be able to work with some really hilariously talented people who um, who are not afraid to uh, to be silly and to take risks and to, to, to use the music in acapella to make a statement. It's, I always, I, I sort of talk about it as a superpower that we have. Huh. That it's, you know, there's, there's, there's tons of acapella groups. Uh, acapella is all the rage. Um, and there's tons of drag queens, um, you know, that are out there, you know. <laughs> and there's so many different drag queens. There's drag queens <laughs> to sing, lip sync, death drop, um, you know, spit blood. There's all kinds of drag. And the... And so this combines the drag and the acapella in such a unique way that it's like, okay, it's not just drag and it's not just acapella, but you put them together and once people hear us sing and we do our, we do, we do a song, we do something with it. Um, you know, we don't just do covers. Uh, we, we make statements and some of the, yeah, sure, we have tons of fun songs that, you know, celebrate, you know, sexual freedom and, you know, person, you know, 
and progressive 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 values and skewers right wing values of course uh, but of course of course like you do uh, but it, it does something and it, it moves the needle on on thought and and it has an agenda very clearly and you know and we make that we make that make that known but I think it, the the coolest thing about it is actually the the breadth of fans that we have um, they can it, you give me a sense of the range oh my gosh it totally runs the gamut like we will have you know, a middle-aged straight white couples who just adore us to, you know, young, um, you know, young queer people who, uh, you know, who will chase after us for photos and things like that <laughs> at, at shows. Um, we, we've done some of our most, in, actually, to, speaking of that, of how Things You Shouldn't Say came to be, we actually had two shows right after the 2016 election. One was in Boise, Idaho, and then the next day we were in Whitefish, Montana. Not exactly like places you would expect, you know, a, a drag acapella quartet to perform. I didn't know you made it to those we did. far reaches. We did. And I, All right. And those audiences were so hungry for what we had. But as much as they may have needed that comfort and reassurance, we also needed that from them. So you have a really eclectic career as a performing artist, though maybe every artist says that, but... You are also uh, deeply involved with the Speakeasy, which yeah. is the walkthrough Prohibition era theater experience. It is an immersive theater experience, right? Set so in a nineteen twenties scintillating Speakeasy, yes. So you play two different characters, yes. Eddie and Eugene. Yes. Can you tell us about them? Sure. Um, I've played both of these roles in some form since the original version of the Speakeasy. And that was in 2014. Yes. Like the six-month run at a different secret venue. Yes. Now they're at another secret yeah, venue. They custom built out. Now, they, i got to tell you, the last one really felt like a Speakeasy. Like, if you walk the wrong way, you'll hit your head on a pole. Um, <laughs> and it was really, it, was, it felt clandestine. Like, and it, was yeah. hot, it was so hot in there. Oh, my gosh. The new place has air conditioning. Can you believe it? Very um, 1920s. It's AC. very 1920s. Uh, there's air conditioning. There's exit signs. <laughs> it's, 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 really, it's really a mess. But, um, no, so I've, I've been with these two characters for a while. Eugene is – there's two different types of characters in the speakeasy, you should mm. know. There's our cabaret characters uh, who do all the cabaret acts and materials and vaudeville sketches and songs, chorus girls, a, a primary chanteuse, uh, and then uh, some vaudeville comedians and uh, and what have you and there's also what we call street characters and these are the characters who are embedded in the audience whose stories move throughout the entire space and you can follow them around as an audience member so one of those the street characters is eugene and um uh, eugene is a homosexual and eugene is very he's well-to-do but has really fallen on hard times because of his gambling habit and um and eugene <laughs> But Eugene loves finer things like opera and what have you. So he is a lot of fun to play. He um, he uh, he he does find a love interest for the night, and it um, it is a very ex- interesting story of how these two people from completely different worlds meet in the world of the speakeasy, um, and how that pans out for them, for better or for worse. I'm not going to give any of that, any of that away. Um, and it's, it's really a, a lot of fun to play that role. Now, the other role is Eddie, and Eddie is uh, uh, loosely based on the vaudevillian actor Eddie Cantor, um, who did a lot, of, a lot of vaudeville, and it was pretty legendary in the early, early 20th century. And so he essentially is the master of ceremonies for the, for the, for the cabaret. 
So he introduces the songs, he tells some jokes, he does some vaudeville bits, and it's really a lot of fun to play Eddie. It's an incredibly physically demanding role. Um, so you get to be like a great big old showman. Yeah, yeah. And I talk, I, I talk about drag in terms of like boy drag and, and my girl drag, and this is truly boy vaudeville drag. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like a very you know light clown makeup that I use. There's tuxedos. There's all sorts of bits of the tuxedos. Um, and and it, costume changes with it and, you know, all this running around and there's a way of carrying yourself. And frankly, I wish I were in high heels for the role because it would just make carrying yourself so much easier in, in, the, style of the, in the style of the show. So how, how do you uh, do boy drag but, like, carry yourself as if you were in high heels? What's well, the character. Well, you got to carry yourself forward. You, you know, you're, you're, your chest is raised. Your hips are relaxed. Your butt is relaxed. You're not, you know, tightened up in the hips. And you're very forward on the balls of your feet, hmm. which high heels kind of force you to do. So uh-huh. whereas, like, you know, when you're in flats, you kind of just can relax back on the backs of your heels and take it easy. Um, but there's a certain deportment to it that's a lot of fun. It's oh. a, it's, anyway, it's, that's a lot more detail than you probably care to know. But it's really a, it's so all. much fun to play that role. There's, like, um, I've told people about it. There's, like, 72 pages of, like, songs, jokes, monologues, um, and all sorts of bits uh, that – that that I get to do. And the role is constantly changing. The whole show is constantly changing. You know, characters are combined, changed, rewritten, different character tracks can happen. Um, and it's, uh, you know, and they, in, in the, in the production quality, I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful space. There's lights embedded throughout. There's stories are told like using light and sound. And we sort of trans pe- transport people through these stories that are happening in real time, but we use light and sound effects to sort of zoom people forward or backwards in time. Um, I liken it, I, I happen to be a sci-fi junkie myself, and I liken it to an analog holodeck that you'll find in Star Trek. So Ew. Yeah, so it's like you can create a world that you can revisit, um, and the story can be different every time you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they you know, intentionally will change up the story and storylines, um, Based on like audience demand and uh, and 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 what have you and what r- really works because there's like there's a lot of dark elements that used to be in the show in terms of you know heavier material which a lot of I mean a lot of us actors enjoy it's a lot lot more to play with uh, but the audiences weren't, <laughs> weren't really having it bless them that's not what they came to the speakeasy uh, yeah, for like we came here to have a good time and get hammered <laughs> um, and they do I mean when you're like giving people booze for three hours it uh, it adds up so well uh, I. One of my questions was, what is it like to be a performer without that, without any semblance of a fourth wall, really, when, Ooh, when you're boundaries. interacting with... That's what you need are boundaries. Like, actually, the fun thing between playing Eugene, who's a street character, and Eddie, who is a cabaret character, is there, 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 there are rules for the speakeasy. We do tell people, it's like, you know, don't interact with an actor unless they interact with you. And people observe that about... 90% of the time, but when mm-hmm. they don't, they're like up in our business, especially depending on how much booze they've had. So we, it's a lot, it's an exercise in boundary setting and so, and, man, and managing a crowd too. Like so much of comedy and so much of theater is sort of getting a sense and a pulse for what's in the room. You can't, you can't be ignorant of that to be, to be effective and you can engage the audience. I mean, we have the, we have some license to do that. But sometimes the audience will be up in your in your business, or they'll be somewhere where you need to be. So it's a matter of finding some way in character, like how would this character interact with these people, and and sort of 
to be able to get get what you want out of them, but also like set the boundary for how for what you need from them. And that that's a delicate, delicate dance. And sometimes, most of the time, it goes pretty well, like with experience. But sometimes, I've seen it go pretty, uh, like, like it's just difficult for an actor to get a handle on on a on a on a on an audience member. So, what happens then? If someone's totally out of hand, um, we have ways of signaling our crew mm. um, to, like, there's cameras embedded all over the place because that's how our crew can see cues and who's where and get people where they need to go. Because it's it's a very intricate machine. Like, if you're talking about 35 characters, and they all have their own tracks, their own tracks and timelines. There's mm-hmm. about two or three points that we can all sync up so that it's not com- so it's not complete, you know, pandemonium. Um, so we finish the minutes at the same time, but. Whew, <laughs> It's it's a it's a feat of management. You are originally from Illinois. I am. Yeah. Which part? Uh, Central Illinois, actually Danville, Illinois. And um, what brought you to the Bay originally? Um, well, I I've been in I've lived in California fifteen years now. So okay. I originally worked at Cal State Northridge, um, in student affairs, which was a lot of fun to to do. I grew up a lot there, and then <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and. Then I moved to San Francisco uh, 12 years ago to do my master's degree at the Conservatory of Music downtown. In singing? Yes, in singing. Cool. Sorry, I was trying to think of something really sassy to say. How did you get into performing in the first place? Um, I always, I guess I grew up doing it. Um, my mom is also a singer, and she did a lot of uh to do a lot of community theater stuff and thing. That's how I first got involved in it, me and my sister. And almost my dad almost got dragged into a show once. Ooh, what stopped um, him? Um, an actor who can sing got cast. Um, <laughs> so it was... Um, <laughs> Wait, was he relieved or disappointed? I think dad was relieved. Uh, I mean, dad, dad's got a, he's got a decent voice, but I mean, this is not like anything dad wants to do. So mm-hmm. um, it was like, well, maybe Dave can do it. And we're like, well, I mean, I was too young. I was too young to have an opinion at the time, but my, in, my intuition was pretty strong. And I'm like, I don't think dad wants to do this. <laughs> so that was like a production of Carousel, too. Um, this was my first like real show I did. So, um, so yeah, that's how I got, grew up doing it. I grew up doing a lot of show choir, um, a lot of uh, Renaissance work in my high school madrigals uh, as well. Um, I did my first professional gig was actually working in a, at a dinner theater. It was a Branson-style dinner theater show in my hometown. I don't know how in the hell they pulled this off in Danville, Illinois. Um, but, yeah, I was doing that a lot uh, on weekends and evenings and stuff. And we would have, like, I think even, like, skip school a few times to go do, like, a like a, a, a charter bus gig when they had a charter bus come in and to entertain. So it's far a along charter now. charter bus gig? Yeah, well, like, the, like a charter <laughs> bus gig, like, where a charter bus rented out, the, like, they hired the space. So they're, sh- they're trucking in a bunch of people from, like, I don't know, um, I don't know, Fithian, Illinois, which is, like, a tiny, <laughs> tiny-ass town, um, to come see our show. And, you know, we do a show for... Um, a, a charter bus full of people at the, at the dinner theater. <laughs> it was in the middle of the day, but these were also oh, during man, the this week. Is so great. So when yours truly had to be in school, so I used my status as the editor of the yearbook to like get out of class and um, yeah. Oh nice. So I think the woman who was responsible for that is now retired, so she's not like at risk of you know losing her job for enabling my my truancy. So. And so you're also involved in like a kind of wide variety of nonprofits here in the Bay Area. Yeah. The Lesbian Gay Chorus of San Francisco, the yes. SF Bike Coalition, and Impact Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And that 
is um, an organization that teaches self-defense skills mm -hmm. to women oh, yeah. and minor minorities. Where do you think your like volunteering drive comes from? Um, it it comes from I don't I don't I don't really know where it, where it comes from. It comes from in terms of the organizations I'm involved with. Like it has always been important to me to be able to be involved and serve my communities and use use what I have in a meaningful way. And uh, perhaps I was in inspired by Barack Obama when I volunteered for his campaign in 2008. Oh, really? Um, I think that probably has a lot to do with it. And, and being able to see that impact, too. Like, when I volunteer with the Bike Coalition and have a, a meaningful conversation with someone about the meaning of, you know, what it means to have safe biking and accessible biking. So... You know, it has to be said. I ride a bike to the theater. Are you a member you, of the Bike Coalition? I am. All right. You you ride a bike to the theater. <laughs> we we have like we have kind of a big thing in common. Um, why why is it important to have to like try to get more bike infrastructure to try to get more people riding? Like, what's the value in that? The the value. Is it's, it goes a lot of ways. I think people get very disconnected when they're in their cars all the time. Um, we, I think, biking and transit and, and and walkability can all need to work hand in hand and work together very well. Um, I also happen to be a bit of a transit nerd, uh, and I like Ooh. trains and things like that. And are you familiar with the term foamer? Foamer? No, I'm not. <laughs> Am I foaming at the mouth? No, you know, this? Uh, you're not, but um, my husband is also a transit nerd, and we learned that the term for like an, a fully grown adult who's really into trains is a foamer, and it's like um, like something Cal <laughs> Caltrain employees, for example, they'll be like, Ugh, foamer, oh, asking asking me all these questions about how the train runs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he wants to see the coal room. <laughs> he wants to shove a coal into the engine. <laughs> right, basically. <laughs> he wants basically. to toot the horn. <laughs> <laughs> so is, uh, is that you? Uh, you know, no, I'm not. It's not me. I don't. I, I let people do their jobs. Um, Interesting. Uh, you Interesting. know, un, unencumbered. Um, in terms of <laughs> transit, now I got involved in that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, bike, I mean, making, it, it's important to make biking safing, uh, biking safer. Um, so... You know, that's like the biggest deterrent for people to to be on the bike. Um, and with hills, I mean, it's not it's not easy to get around. So, you know, if you you have good traffic calming, you have proper separation of bikes from traffic, um, people won't feel so intimidated uh, to get out, you know, on the bike. And like what what do you tell people who are like, but you're crazy in this city? The drivers. Wah! Like, yeah, but that's why it's important to create spaces that are separate from the drivers. Yeah, drivers can be irritating. Um, I've driven a car, too, so I sort of have some sense of what that's like. Um, but it's not its not an us versus them. And I think i think if cyclists make it make it that, then, it, you know, we're not really going to get anywhere. Um, similar, like, you know, drivers, like, want to throw every cyclist under the bus sometimes. Um, and it's like, well, it's looking at us diff differently. Like, we're not looking at this. We're looking at the problem. We're seeing the same problem, but we're looking at it from two different pers perspectives. Um, right. It's, I mean, if people, when, when, it, when it, like, drivers run, like, herd, pe herd people on bikes all the time. And not all the time, but it happens frequently. And sure. it, it shouldn't. I mean, and, but you can solve that with infrastructure, you know. Exactly. Um, it's not really an us versus them. It's these, we have to work together and live together. So, it's by making, but so the bike coalition tries to make, tries to advocate for 
smart infrastructure. And what are some of the things you've done with the Bike Coalition? Oh, goodness. I um, Probably the biggest thing I did was uh, about six years ago, I did a, um, a ride called the Climate Ride, which was a 300... Uh, over 350 mile bike ride through Northern California. Beautiful, beautiful ride. Even though it was raining the entire time, uh, <laughs> it was still gorgeous. I mean, the Mendocino Coast is still gorgeous even in a thunderstorm. So, it so Climate Ride uh, and the Bike Coalition was my benefactor um, for the, for oh, the wow. money I raised, and so it was a lot of fun. Small ride too, like maybe 150 people at the time. So that was a that was a blast to do. Um, generally, these days I do a lot of imbi- imba- bicycle ambassadorship stuff, which means yeah, bike to work that? day. Okay. It means uh, there's new bike lanes we want to celebrate or draw attention to, or there's bike uh, there's there's various bike bicycle um, corridors we want you know to raise awareness of and initiatives that we want to raise awareness of. So if it's Valencia Street, for example, um, then you know we'll do an outreach. The group like bike coalition will organize an outreach and we'll be either be educating cyclists about about the initiatives and so they can be in the know and support the work or not support the work or give their opinion um, and just really celebrate, you know, the visibility piece. My last question was just I, I wanted to hear about um, Impact Bay Area. The, the, the premise of, of Impact is to teach full force self-defense. So it, we have everything from like a one-hour intro in San Francisco and in Berkeley. We have a three-hour intro as well. It's a little more involved. Um, and then the full, you know, the main flagship course is our 24-hour basics course that we teach. Um, we have one that are, ones that are geared to women, um, ones that are geared to LGBTQ people um, mm. as well. And then there's more advanced ones that we have, like dealing with weapons, multiple assailants. And, wow. they're small, and they're small classes, so you get a lot of hands-on material and a lot of practice time. The concept is that it takes 24 hours to build um, to build a habit, to build something into muscle memory. and Just w- any 24 hours, however you... Uh, yeah, it, it takes up. 24 hours of practicing mm. something to make it, you know, to start getting it in there, in your, in your body. So it becomes a reflex. Mm. Um, okay. And the whole premise of the impact curriculum is to uh, be able to set boundaries. Um, and that's not just like physical boundaries when you're in public, but also practicing and valuing your own your own space. Yeah, it sounds like the speakeasy actors could benefit. Uh, from you that. know they could. They totally I just could. brought it back again. Yes, you did. I like made that. Made another full yeah. circle. Drag queens can learn how to set boundaries too. Um, but audience members can learn how to set boundaries too. So it's very useful. Um, um, yeah. But what? Tell me why this organization is important to you. It because it focuses on um, women and marginalized people. Um, I took my first impact class it was a bystander intervention course, uh, like a ninety minute. Uh, class that we did and it was like right after the 2016 election and it was a matter of like people are seeing ugly things now and there's people I mean I have a lot of privilege being a a, a white straight presenting man um, I can pass um, and, and people may not know I'm queer but not a lot of people have that privilege mm-hmm. and so People, I mean, we see, you know, the, every every other week there's, like, another, like, video of someone, uh, you know, going off the rails over some, uh, on someone who's marginalized um, and people you know, people doing nothing. And there's so many ways we can de-escalate those, and we have responsibility to de-escalate those. So mainly I I got involved because I wanted the tools, and I'm like, this is, this is, really, this is really valuable. Right on. Yeah. Good for you. It's a great organization. It's, an, it's a national organization. Impact Bay Area, though, is, of course, our, is our Bay Area chapter. So Gotcha. Yeah. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for joining me in the Chronicle <laughs> today. And 
just to go over the details of your uh, upcoming show yeah. at the Kinsey Six again. So that's it's the 25th anniversary show. It's called Things You Shouldn't Say. Marines Memorial, October fifth and sixth. You right? betcha. Yes, there's a um, there's a matinee on the third. I'm on, on at three p.m. on the, on the Saturday show, and the Friday night and the Saturday matinee will actually have a talk back after our show Ooh. with uh, moderated by my predecessor and co-founder Erwin Keller. Uh, we'll, have, we'll also have past cast members who will be joining us and talk about uh, the wild early days of the group and some more. It's a little more than you're going to get from the show, so it's a little more value added. Value add. Value add, baby. Right on. Well, thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Stephen Boyle. This show is produced by me. For more theater coverage, you can follow me on Twitter, at Lily Janik. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com.